or if you're a first-time listener, welcome aboard. I'm your host, Aiden, and we're here for another exciting episode of The Push-Pull Factor, the podcast where we hear real migration stories from real people. Now, we've had quite a week here in the United States because we're going through our elections. Now, for any foreign viewers, I'm sure the media was covering the elections because, let's be honest, the United States has our hand in every single pot around the world. But just to rehash, the elections come every four years, and it comes down to an electoral college system. This means that individual states in the District of Columbia each use a statewide popular vote to determine their number of electors. And that number is based on based off of the population. Now, it was a media frenzy, and although Election Day was last Tuesday, I don't believe the race was called until Friday or Saturday, so it was really a breath-holding moment for a lot of the country. But now we're through, and honestly, this is my podcast, and I can say it, that Orange Idiot is out of office, and we can move the fuck on. Also, I think that was a big win for migrants of all kinds who were scared of the you know, the, frank, the frankly anti-immigration policy that 45 used the running platform. Now that Biden one, he's supposedly going to expand the H-1B visa program and eliminate the quota on visas by country that was enacted by 45. Which again, big win for migrants. I know this creates a complex issue about American jobs being taken from foreign workers and whether or not there truly is a skill gap in our domestic workforce, whether the need... Whether there really is a need for all these foreign, you know, software engineers, doctors, lawyers, and other professionals, because that's who the, the H-1B visa program is for, to my understanding. But it's definitely a complex issue, and I'm, not, and I'm not saying that I have the solution. But I think a piece of the puzzle here is definitely education. If we think back to past episodes, like Dre on episode 2 and Tianchu on episode 4, they found the American education system rather easy. Even Tianchu said, or well, she more implied... That the math, the way that we approach math is kind of backwards. I think this means is stop defunding education in the United States. And, you know, stop appointing people, you know, I don't even have a positive adjective to say, but, you know, people like Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, and hopefully we can get this country on the right track. But enough about that, let's get on to one of my favorite segments of the show, Migration Education. This is the part where I provide a quick burst of information related to migration and the country we're talking about today, Kosovo. Now, I wonder how many of you are trying to go leave your, you know, your podcasting app to Google what Kosovo is, because I didn't really know about it either until I met Monica in college. It's one of the youngest countries in the world in both population and age. It became independent in 2008, and the guest, she describes it as a bit of a startup country, which is very, very true, I find, to my research. Since before they were declared independent, they always had a rich history of migration in Kosovo. And it is estimated that a third of people of Kosovan descent currently live outside the borders of Kosovo. Migration is mainly driven by economic reasons and lack of opportunity, like in a lot of countries. And it's something that we touch on in the episode, but... The Kosovo War in 1999 was also a huge driver pushing people out of the country due to some ethnic tensions with Serbia. Additionally, due to some shared cultural norms between Kosovo and Albania, the Kosovo diaspora is often merged with the Albanian one, and it is indeed one of the many countries that Kosovars end up in when migrating. Other Baltic states are popular for Kosovo destination migrants, so countries like Montenegro, Macedonia, they also take on a decent amount of the burden. Not burden, but they take on a decent amount of the people from Kosovo. What's particularly interesting about Kosovo is, I think, their relationship with remittance. Now, remittance is any goods or money sent back home by a migrant living or working abroad. And, and for many economies, it can be a very large percentage of their GDP. Now, you may know this if you are an immigrant or, you know, you're a migrant yourself or you are you know come from an immigrant family. It's a very common thing to send money and goods back home, you know, send reused clothes. In Jamaican culture, it's called sending barrel. That's what it's called. You know, you stack one of those blue barrels and, you know, send your family back home as much as you can. My family didn't do it personally, but I know a lot of my friends at school. So according to the report of the World Bank, Kosovo is actually one of the top 10 countries that received the most remittances in the world. And their GDP, the percentage of it to their GDP is about 16%. So this creates an interesting piece of the puzzle with Kosovo, because how they engage with their widespread diaspora and how they're starting to build within their country, it's a crucial problem for the nation to solve. And I think, again, it's a... Fun mix of migration, international relations, economics, and politics. 
I think, again, being such a young country, I think it's such an interesting problem from a geopolitical perspective because so many aspects of them, of their identity is in infancy, but they're still interacting with this global, you know, geopolitical world that's been going on for ages. And so obviously they're connected through that because people have been here before, you know, these countries were formed, but I, don't know, I just think it's very interesting. So this guest, Monica, was one of my classmates in college. Yes, yes, another college classmate. I'm sorry. I went to a highly international school with some interesting people, but again, I'm still trying to diversify up the guest list. So we have such amazing people coming, guys. But back to Monica, we had a great discussion and I learned and uncovered a lot about the country, which I admittedly knew very little about outside of my episode research. I learned a lot about Monica and her story. So without further ado... Here with me today, I have Monica. She's currently living in Kosovo, where she was born, and working as a product manager. Like me, she's a graduate of Babson College, where she was a global scholar. How are you doing today, Monica? (laughs) I'm great. Thank you for asking. And thanks for having me on the podcast, Aiden. Yeah, of course. I think Kosovo is such an interesting country to explore. It's one of the youngest in the world, and I'm excited to hear your perspective and, you know, teach the world a little more, even though, you know, my viewership isn't the world yet. Yeah, they'll discover it in a little bit. (laughs) So let's start by telling the audience where you were born and then where in Kosovo you currently live. Um, I currently live in Pristina, the capital of Kosovo. Uh, It's also where I was born, but in 1997, when I was born, uh, it was part of Serbia, uh, which was Yugoslavia a few years before that. So my birth certificate is um, a Serbian birth certificate. I imagine that's quite an interesting dynamic, and I actually did want to start there as a whole, just providing some insight into Kosovo. And then especially for the viewers, because I feel like when you run into people, you know, from the United States who were born and raised here, they might not know what Kosovo is. So do you have like a pitch or a way that you usually describe Kosovo? Hmm. Well, so at Babson, which is a business school focused in entrepreneurship, I used to say it's like a startup <laughs> if, if a country was a startup. Um, so Kosovo is in southeastern Europe. And it's a very, very small country, uh, only about two million people. And it's, uh, we're ethnically Albanian, most of Kosovo. Um, but throughout history, um, we've been conquered by multiple, um, the Ottoman Empire, uh, Yugoslavia, Serbia. So uh, it, only as of 2008, Kosovo gained its independence. So it is a startup of a country. I actually really love that descriptor of it. Made, it makes your time at Babson like a natural fit almost. <laughs> yeah. Going off of that, can we get a general experience of living and growing in, you know, in your words, a startup country that was forming its national identity and still to this day continues to craft it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is. It's been very interesting to, um, you know, grow up here and move abroad and now come back. Um, I recently moved back after six years in the U.S. Um, and studying abroad in a few different places. Um, and I can definitely tell that Kosovo's identity is really getting built over the years. Um, Having lived abroad, I was able to notice the difference more every time I'd, I would come back, whether it was, you know, one year apart or uh, every other, like, semester. And as I said, growing up, um, there were things that happened here that, you know, we just deemed as normal because this was our normal. And then um, it just meant that you know the the country wasn't as developed uh and i'm talking you know early 2000s um maybe up to 2010 um and things like that which to elaborate you know 
uh, power would shut down, like water would shut down every once in a while. Like we just, there was a schedule and we knew about it. Um, and it was just some of the challenges um, of being in a place that had a war and is rebuilding. And things like that are you know, definitely not normal anymore. So my brother, who's 13 now, has barely experienced that. And it's really interesting to see the generational difference um, here, in, even in, you know, what... I think we fall into Gen Z, technically, but, like, the old Gen Z in Kosovo is very, very different, has had a very different experience from the the youngest that makes a lot of sense. It's actually a pretty good distinction to bring up. And like I read that Kosovo is actually one of the youngest countries population wise. So that's that's a pretty interesting dynamic and see how that plays out in actuality. So you mentioned the war and I imagine that was a pretty big driver of migration. Would you say that it's the sole driver or was there already like a budding relationship with migration in Kosovo? Or then? Yeah, so Kosovo, as I said, was part of Yugoslavia. Um, I'm not I'm not great with history, so I can't give you actual years. I hope not my so. parents won't be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but basically, until um, the early '90s, Kosovo was part of Yugoslavia, and Yugoslavia was this um, socialist republic um, in southeastern Europe, consisting of Serbia, Slovenia, Croatia, Bosnia. Montenegro, Macedonia, and Kosovo. And so Kosovo was, within Yugoslavia, a part of Serbia. It was a region. But the thing was that Yugoslavia was a Slavic country, and Kosovo is not made of majority Slavic people um, were ethnically Albanian, as I said. So Mm -hmm. um, there were challenges that stemmed from that. Uh, In its best days, you know, Albanian people in Kosovo had equal rights and had just as much opportunity, but it was still, they were still considered somewhat second-class citizens, and I would say that's what started the migration um, kind of journey for Kosovars. Um, Stemming, you know, from um, whether it was even in the time when there were relatively equal opportunities to um, times you know, the early 90s and late 90s when the war happened, when it was actually people running for their lives because you couldn't stay here anymore. And um, people got fired. Um, they were, you know, people like there was persecution. Um, so a lot of people left Kosovo, um, particularly to um, countries like Germany and Switzerland, um, where I think some earlier migration had happened. So people kind of went and established communities there. Um, and, you know, then people have gone as far as Australia. Um, but I would say kind of Europe experienced a lot more of the Kosovar migration. And I think Mm -hmm. we're still recovering from that as a country. Um, We have a huge diaspora that uh, contributes a lot to the Kosovar economy, but I need to mention that there is a reputation that um, was, you know, is kind of being rebuilt because there was a time when the refugees going into European countries were Kosovar, and the people entering illegally were Kosovar. So there's still some stigma attached to that within Europe. Okay, that's a really good point to bring up because I didn't know that myself. Like, I didn't know that that stigma was attached to Kosovars in the EU. Interesting, Aiden, to like move to the US because. In the U.S., at least no one knows about or mostly no one knows about Kosovo. So for me, it was always a like a clean slate to start from. No one associated me with anything because of where I'm from. But if you know, it, it happens way less now. But if I'm in Europe, 
and you know especially particular countries or or mm-hmm. towns or cities and i say i'm albanian or i'm from kosovo there is a stereotype attached to that um which is really i find really interesting and i um i sometimes get a little nervous about that since i'm kind of planning on being in europe uh, whether in kosovo or i might move to italy for work um mm-hmm. so i have found myself thinking about that a lot more than when i moved to the us it's definitely interesting how different parts of your identity can become more salient depending on where you are in the world so going off of that specifically with the relationship between kosovo and the united states is there a perception of people from the us and kosovo like is american culture something people know about and resonate with um definitely yes i think as this i've heard this from my parents too um because albanian culture itself um was not celebrated in yugoslavia um you know from earlier generations like people of like our parents generation um they they turned to american culture it was easy mm-hmm. people were starting to learn english um you know they watched mtv um they kind of turned mm-hmm. to that and to international media and international music and uh part shows um movies uh, in particular american culture um i don't know exactly the reason um but it is sometimes you see some people have um have names that are american and um it's like oh my mom saw this on a show like really <laughs> like this character from i don't know the sopranos or something like that um and or like the old dynasty and called their kid you know ex name so um so i would say the opinion of americans kosovo is you could like people can look this up um i think if you search like which country is the biggest supporter of the us like kosovo will come up um, <laughs> so we had that kind of before um before the war but um one thing people might not know is kosovo was one of oh, this is this is political um one of the only like productive us interventions um mm. like yeah military interventions so it was i think it was at a un meeting um when the war in kosovo was starting that like bill clinton spoke and urged everyone to uh, everyone as in the leaders of the western world um <laughs> uh to you know intervene in kosovo so kosovo doesn't become bosnia and the bosnian genocide um cuz that war happened between serbia and bosnia and mm-hmm. it uh, definitely did not end well so the us is seen as this like savior you know for us and there's things from very interesting folk songs um that we kind of you know joke with now like my group of friends and like our generation um to you know a bill clinton statue um and a uh, bill clinton boulevard because and it's same for like other foreign leaders but kosovo loves the us i think even uh, with trump as president our approval ratings of the us have just been like going up and it's it's really it's really interesting as someone who kind of became an adult in the us and i had my or i have my own political opinions and like where i stand 
U.S. wise and then seeing people from my country just like kind of blindly supporting whatever is happening in the U.S. and whatever the U.S. leaders say. Yeah, no, it's definitely confusing when <laughs> recognizing the political, like geopolitical influence that the United States has, such widespread. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that Bill Clinton is revered of all presidents. But I feel like his reputation in the, in the U.S. is clouded by like, um, a certain controversy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like it probably timed out well with sort of his protection work in Kos- like what he did in Kosovo. Sort of yeah. try to distract the media, maybe. I don't know. But I still think it's good. It's definitely great what he did because I think Kosovo is a stable country and, like you said, the successful U.S. intervention. Yeah. <laughs> so shifting to your college journey and migration journey itself, I want to ask what drove you to the United States for college? Was it solely the global scholar opportunity at Babson or what did you want to pursue college in the U.S. in general? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I too was very influenced by U.S. media um, growing up, so I knew I wanted to study abroad from like the age of eight, um, and no, then right. it just happened that the media I was exposed to was mostly American like teenage shows so I Mm -hmm. was in fourth grade watching Gilmore Girls and watching One Tree Hill (laughs) and watching Gossip Girl and what they were doing is they were taking the SAT they were applying to colleges they were you know visiting schools Um, Mm -hmm. so I grew up more familiar with that than with maybe the college application process in Kosovo. Um, And I think a part of that is like purposeful engagement in that. Mm -hmm. I was interested. Um, It seemed like something I wanted to do. So even if it was through TV shows that my parents would tell me I'm wasting my time watching them, uh, I definitely learned about... um, what the experience is like and formed an idea over the years of what I want for myself uh, when it came to college. And um, I was part of a like state US State Department exchange program um, when I was a junior in high school. So I went on a one year exchange um, to the US and I stayed with uh, randomly selected a host family in Pennsylvania and Delaware actually I went to school I went to a Quaker school in Wilmington uh, Wilmington Delaware Um, and you know I actually went to I took I took the SAT where Joe Biden went to high school Um, (laughs) that's like an interesting thing to think back to now Um, but during that year, I was a junior, so most of my classmates who were American um, were going through the college application process as well. Um, I took SAT prep courses with them. We mm-hmm. wrote our essays together. I was very lucky to be able to take advantage of the college admissions office that they had built, um, which you know was way far more superior than the one uh, in my high school here. Um, And I was looking at international relations actually. Um, So that's what I wanted to study um, because of this exchange program I'd participated in. And I did a summer program in Boston um, for called Women to Women um, Leadership conference or something like that Um, and it was around 60 um, young women anywhere from like high school and up um, from around the world and we just learned about international relations diplomacy for a week or 10 days and one day um, one whole day was 
reserved for Babson College. And at the time, because I had been exposed to colleges from, you know, mostly media um, and our other Definitely lectures. Yeah. Um, and our other lectures were at Harvard and, you know, Tufts, schools like these. I was like, what is Babson? Like, why are they taking us to the school for a whole day? Um, and then I went to Babson and we did the entrepreneurial thought in action um, uh, workshop, which is the one with the puzzles and the quilts. Okay. And I was like, it's. It changed my life. Um, it's funny to say that for something that was in FME, but um, in our entrepreneurship class. Um, but when I did it the first time during the summer program, it really, I was like, wow, like there's other ways of solving challenges um, and creating change, not only through policy and um you know things that take such mm -hmm. a long time um and i the babson part was my favorite part of that summer program and they also presented global scholars there so i decided to apply and it was still the only business school i applied to um, and i just decided on a whim um, the last day i could accept babson's offer to uh, accept it and become a global scholar at babson Wow, what a journey. Yeah. <laughs> it's great that Babson got in front of you then because you could have a whole different future if you never had that day or, you know, Babson ever worked at that conference. Totally. It's it, like, I think that thing made me um, just like believe and really appreciate taking chances and like randomness in life. Because um, I am a big planner, and like, like I said, like from a very young age, I knew I wanted to study abroad. So I was studying for the SAT in eighth grade. Like, I did things pretty early, mm -hmm. but then I think at some point, I learned, like, you have to also be open to new things and, like, changes and change, like, the track you're going on if you see that it's making you happier or it it looks like it makes more sense especially for the future oh i totally agree and i feel like if 2020 taught us anything it's that you can't plan too far ahead you always have to adapt or like you just have to go with the flow so you mentioned always wanting to study abroad since the age of eight is this a common thing for students in kosovo or do they mostly look towards higher education opportunities inside kosovo or maybe even going directly to the workforce? Hmm. Um, great, great point, especially mentioning the workforce. Um, one interesting thing about Kosovo is our unemployment is still very high. Uh, it might mm -hmm. have, I don't think I would be wrong to say it has the highest unemployment rate in Europe, um, but I'm not super sure. Definitely top five um, for that. So, Going straight into uh, employment is actually not feasible here. In fact, so many more people have master's degrees because you kind of, you get your bachelor's and then it's hard to find a job and you're more employable with a master's, so you get a master's. And then everyone has master's. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, I would say... Not that many people look to study abroad for their bachelors. Um, the system doesn't really prepare you to look, to find opportunities. Um, it's very much you have to be a self-starter and look out for things from very early on. Um, and... I'm glad I'm glad I had the foresight to do that. Um, but I most of my friends studied here for undergrad, and then I know a lot of people who go abroad for their masters. Um, there's a lot more. So Kosovo being still a developing country, um, we luckily can take advantage of a lot of um, a lot of 
program like scholarship programs that are especially like specifically designed for Kosovo so there's a, um, a few state department programs uh, almost every European government has scholarship programs for Kosovar students um, like I know of a great program in Japan too so um, but it's mostly for masters so a lot more people get the opportunity to do that for higher education. Um, I would say for undergrad, like I said, you really have to keep an eye out, stay on top of deadlines, things. No one's going to be holding your hand. That's an interesting insight. I'm glad that Kosovars are getting these opportunities and a pipeline into international education. So just quickly off of that, is education in Kosovo done in Albanian, English, Serbian? Like, is it a combination of the three, only two? Can you quickly explain that a little more? Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so education is done in Albanian. Um, we learn English from, I think, second grade. When I did it in public schools, it was, I think, from fifth grade. But now um, they're starting earlier. Um, there are schools in Serbian. There's schools in Turkish, there's schools, uh, there's private schools in English. I went to an American high school. Um, so there's there's definitely schools, there's education and all these other languages available for um, students who um, kind of identify with those ethnicities within Kosovo, but it's a majority in Albanian. All right. So when it came time for you to go to Babson, how did your family feel? I know you said you had wanted to study abroad since you were eight and you had done the exchange program, but four years is a pretty big chunk of time. So was it a big move for you or was your family already used to it and ready for the experience? Uh, They were used to it, definitely. Um, (laughs) Even though I had only done one year so far, they knew I had put so much, you know, work and effort into that. So they were, very happy for me Um, and I think what also helped is I've stayed in touch with my American host family from my exchange program and um, they my family had virtually met them a few times and they kind of knew that I have someone in the States um, even if it's not you know them my parents Going off of that, while living in the U.S., did you take any steps to get a slice of home and engage with the Kosovar or Albanian diasporas? Um, so at Babson, trying to think, there was one Kosovar master's student through one of these programs I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was my freshman year. Uh, we met randomly at the cafeteria um, after... <laughs> Uh, someone had made like a Facebook introduction and we never found time to meet, but we just met at Trim. Um, but that was that was just a chance encounter. Um, I would say what, what helped me feel very close to my culture um, was living with a Turkish roommate. Um, we lived together for two years and I have another um, close friend that's Turkish. And um, while, while it's a different culture, because um, the Ottoman Empire, which is present-day Turkey, um, ruled over Kosovo for 500 years um, until the beginning of the um, 20th century, actually. So that influence is still very much present. Um, so, you know, there's words in Albanian that are actually Turkish, um, so, you know, I was able to kind of communicate with my roommate using these words, um, you know, on top of English. And I think we also culturally, um, we meshed very well together. So that was great because it felt like I'm living with someone else um, from the Balkans, um, which is another kind of cultural association that Kosovo belongs to um, is the the Balkan Peninsula, so southeastern, um, the southeastern tip of Europe. Um, 
And it it includes these Slavic countries, Bulgaria too, Kosovo, Albania, Greece, Turkey. Um, it's just this general interchangeable culture. A lot of us have the same dishes. We might call them the same things similar you know names everyone fights over who made what first um so that was i would say that's what made me feel closest to home um that we also had um, uh, albanian students like american albanian students at babson and it was it was definitely nice to um speak Albanian every once in a while, but uh, a lot of them, I think all of them, were, um, their families had come from Albania, so, and there is a different accent that we have in Kosovo, I forgot to mention this, um, and while the Albanian spoken in Albania is, that's more of the standard language, and here we have a dialect, so um, we, Kosovars can understand Albanians most of the time um, they sometimes can't understand us so it's not like we were having very um, you know conversations were flowing very very easily so it was mostly in English (laughs) yeah I feel like that regional dialect thing definitely comes into play a lot like even when I studied abroad the Chilean Spanish the Peruvian Spanish and the Argentine Spanish definitely not the same so actually, that's a great transition as we move over to your study abroad journey. I know it was quite a time for you. So you did a semester in Singapore and other in Portugal. So I want to ask about that process, especially when a lot of countries don't necessarily recognize Kosovo sovereignty. Yes, um, it was very interesting and I'm glad for the timing, um, how the timing term turned out. So. I really wanted to, Babson has this program called BRIC, um, it's <laughs> Babson, Russia, India, China, um, and I really wanted to do this program uh, because I wanted to get exposed to as many cultures as possible while at Babson, because being a student gives me, a Kosovar, so much more opportunities to travel and to get visas. I need a visa for everywhere but five countries in the world wow do you know those five off the top here yeah so it's uh it's albania montenegro um macedonia turkey and the maldives oh that's random but beautiful so if you want to go to the maldives Uh, yeah 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 (laughs) definitely (laughs) so and I can enter Serbia with, like, not my passport, but an ID card, because they still don't recognize us, um, like, as a country. But basically, I realized, I, ever since I got into Babson, I was like, I want to do brick. I hope by then, like, Russia, India, and China will recognize Kosovo. And so two years passed, didn't happen, I couldn't go on the pro I didn't apply on to the program because I knew I just couldn't like I can't get into um, India for sure China Russia for sure too China I can go to as a tourist I think only recently Um, and I wanted to do something in Asia because Kosovo being in Europe, a lot of people migrate more to Europe or, you know, travel. It's also cheaper to go closer. Um, And then we're more familiar with U.S. culture. So uh, some people also go there. But travel to Asia is really it's it's a hassle because there's no connections like you have to go through other airports. Um, But also it's it's far away and it's expensive. So I wanted to to explore Asia uh, through, you know, being at Babson. And I really wanted to go to Hong Kong, but Hong Kong also um, does not uh, does not recognize Kosovo and cannot permit entrance uh, of someone holding a Kosovar passport. So when I say 
some countries don't recognize Kosovo. It's, it means they don't recognize Kosovo's statehood, which means that my passport is worthless. It's like a, bringing a notebook to passport control. Um, so there's a lot of challenges that come with that. But finally, um, I think a few weeks before the study abroad application, um, I woke up to the news that Singapore recognized Kosovo. And oh, wow. I was super glad because um, the other alternative was Japan. And I I wanted to go to Japan, but the Japan program was a year long. And I didn't want to commit to one year. Um, so the Singapore <laughs> program that. really worked out for me. And um, yeah, it was very interesting to be there. Um, the visa was actually way... Uh, more straightforward than I thought but uh, not not to ramble on but one thing even once you get past the barrier of you know getting a V or first like a country recognizing my country uh, getting a visa for that which can take like up to six months sometimes um, is airports don't update their systems very often. Um, same for airlines, same for ticket booking um, software. So I, as I was like moving to Singapore, I had interned in Boston. Um, so I left from there at the end of the summer and I had all my stuff with me that I had accumulated over two years at Babson. And I was at Logan Airport about to, you know, check my bags in. And then uh, it was a Turkish Airlines flight. And the um, person working at the desk goes, no, it says here, Singapore. Uh, So there was only one rule specified for Singapore visas for anyone in the world. And it said... Entry denied to Kosovo passport holders. Oh my god. <laughs> and Only one. I had Yeah. So I'm here like there's I have nowhere to stay. I there's a you know, apartment waiting for me. I have my I I've registered to classes, like I have orientation in two days. Um like I need to go <laughs> and I can go because I have a visa but the visa was printed on a, sh- a piece of paper not on my passport because that's mm-hmm. just the Singapore student permit um, and I ha- so Aiden I had to show um, press releases official press releases <laughs> of the Singaporean government to these two like men working at the desk like the guy and the manager um and be like no no look like two months ago or who knows six months ago this happened so you just haven't updated that like no i can go like i swear um and they had to call their headquarters and i was there and i had to be like accompanied to the gate because i was late um so it was it was a journey and yeah i have a lot of these airport um anecdotes i can imagine it's like a gamble every single time like will they take it will they not but i'm glad that you got on your flight to singapore that that's what's important (laughs) yeah and actually if i can uh add like being so far away is also interesting because as i said like yeah in the u.s people don't know about kosovo but because it's one country i never noticed it as much but in asia um i was going to i think i was going to japan or coming back and um the like i went through the philippines and they had to check my passport there or something and as I'm so as I'm coming yeah it was as I'm coming back um the people were like oh Kosovo um it's not coming up um like Slovakia like maybe Slovakia 
And like they wanted to put me as someone from another country because my country's name is not on the drop down list of countries. And because all these countries are so far away, to them, they seem so interchangeable. And I'm like, Slovakia? Like, just because <laughs> it, it has a K and an S and a V? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's trying to change your citizenship. Yeah. I would take a Slovakian passport if they gave me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would get you a lot more places. So I actually have a question about the whole passport airport situation. Do the same rules apply if you just have a layover and you're flying through somewhere? Say, you know, you're going from Kosovo, you have a layover in Russia or something. Um, no. But if you have two layovers, it applies. So that makes my flights from the U.S. to Europe a lot more expensive. Um, especially now, like, coming back from, the U- from uh, San Francisco, um, where I was living for the past, like, year and a half. Um yeah the difference was huge like if i could do a lay two layovers in europe or something like that which um you know being well we're not students anymore but i very much still have the like poor student mindset i'm like (laughs) yeah i'll take the cheapest (laughs) ticket um but i can't so layovers aren't an issue um but if you need to switch airports, you can't. If you need to, um, if you have, say, like, eight hours between flights, you can't go out. Um, you can't plan fun layovers, like, oh, let's take a two-day trip because I have a layover in a country because you need a visa to go out. So you're just trapped in the airport pretty much. There's just nothing to do on a big-ass chunk of time. In a way, I also did a semester in Lisbon, Portugal, mm-hmm. and it's it's it, like it's funny to me knowing both sides, like seeing the American student perspective, um, especially which I would say I have I have more of an understanding of that because I spent a year in high school with only American students, so like. Babson was was much easier to navigate and kind of go in the middle of American students and international students because of that. But like the stereotype of like, oh my God, study abroad in Europe, like I'm gonna travel so much. Um, even though I'm from Europe, I had that because the for the first time in my life, I had a Schengen like a European visa with no restrictions for six months because usually if we apply for a visa for european or almost any other kind of visa from kosovo um, you need to book everything in advance and not just show a confirmation but like show that you've paid for things um, show how you've paid for things and if your trip is six days your visa will say either six days or seven days in case something happens to your flight, which is, I find that to just be terrible. Um, A little over-regulated. Yeah. Is it because they don't want, like, Kosovo staying? Yeah, yeah. So shifting away from student life to the lovely transition to adulthood that we both experienced and your time in San Francisco, how was that, especially, you know, Transitioning away from Babson and, you know, truly being a working person in your early 20s, living and working in the United States and, you know, quote unquote, living the dream. I I loved it. I started out kind of as a hater, Um, (laughs) as, as, you know, someone, a self-proclaimed like East Coast person, Um, even though I'm not from there. um, (laughs) I was very like critical of sf when i first moved there you know the city has its issues there's huge uh, inequality and you see it every day on the streets um but over time i really grew to love it um i you know if i would have been able to stay i would have loved to stay um, so to explain, after you finish your, um, I th- 
I don't, I think master's too, but after you finish like education, higher education in the U.S., um, you, based on what you've studied, you get one or more years of optional practical training so you can get a job and do that for a year or more. Um, because Babson, Babson's degree doesn't fall into STEM, which gets two or three years, um, we get one year only. So I moved to SF um, after graduation and I, my year ended. Um, my year of work during the summer Um, and so I wasn't able to get the H-1B work visa which is a lottery visa Um, so my number was not picked and yeah it's also it's also 2020 but um, it's it was a very big lesson and I think I'm still learning it that you know some things you can't plan for um yeah um it so you kind of find that out in in April and then there's some months to like finish working and like wrap up your life but um yeah definitely like I'm still kind of recovering from that um I think everyone in my situation is uh it is I think maybe it's been the hardest thing I've done so far to start a life and have to wrap it up um you know when I did my exchange program it was known that it was just one school year um I wasn't gonna live with that family forever I wasn't going to stay in that school. College was coming. Um, so there were things to look forward to. Uh, and now it's like your first year of adulthood and you start to figure things out. You get the hang of things, especially in a new city. And then like you have to leave. So um, now I'm back in Pristina. Uh, for the first time as an adult, like living here, not just visiting. Um, and this is also interesting, I think. The only difference is like my family's here and my childhood friends are here, which is already such a big support system. But, you know, I'm making a routine again. I found an apartment again, like had to move. Um, I'm trying to continue my adult life here as well, but I have to say that I think I know how to be an adult better in the U.S. than here, which is so crazy to me now. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of that is driven by what you have in the U.S. and what you have around you in Kosovo. Like, I feel like it's easy to default to your family and your childhood friends when you're around them all the time. So for someone our age, is it normal to live on your own in Kosovo or not really? Yeah. Um, So I, you know, it's not, it's not normal really. Here people um, mostly live with their parents until they're married. Uh, And I would say people get married like in their 20s, late 20s. Um, So I would kind of be expected to live with my parents. Uh, I think that's slowly shifting. There's more people moving out. There's more people um, like living with their significant others before marriage, which used to very much not be a thing. Um, And this is, of course, I have to say, this is my perspective as someone who was born and like has grown up in the capital. Um, there are a lot of students from other towns and villages that move here and maybe move to other towns for education too and they live with roommates and I'm sure their experience is maybe more similar to my experience in the U.S. than like my own Kosovar experiences Um, but this is kind of the experience I have and my friends have and yeah, most of my friends still live with their parents. Um, I just, 
I was not looking forward to like um, going back to being a teenager because um, I really, especially with working from home, um, I was afraid that that might I might fall into that, and um, I don't want to. I was very adamant about like not moving backwards in life. Um, so and my parents were very understanding and uh, I have a little brother so they still have a kid in the house Mm -hmm. Um, and we're in the same city so I see them a couple times a week so you have a certain level of independence but you can still pop over and see your family I feel like that's a good balance yeah definitely I've I've come to like appreciate it so much more um, I, you know, I miss them, but I'm a fairly independent person, so I never went through like big like homesickness um, while at Babson. And now that I'm here and I can rely on them more, it's like, oh wow, I was missing out. Uh, so I actually, um, kind of to tie into this, I w- did my honors program thesis on this topic um kind of being at babson i loved what we're learning but being so far away i every once in a while i would feel like i'm not doing enough for like my country um and it was very difficult to do that from you know far away um and i decided to do the honors program and research exactly this like the entrepreneurial ecosystem in kosovo how can we use tech entrepreneurship to develop the country and bring that like to the forefront um so kosovo has a growing entrepreneurial ecosystem people are very like tech literate um so it it kind of um it started i would say after the war there were a lot of like foreign organizations that had offices here so they built our like wi-fi infrastructure and it's everywhere like every village there's no remote parts in kosovo Um, and so people have gotten into tech more and more um i've noticed so many new businesses opening just like even from December until when I was in Kosovo last, uh, last so January and December, um, to now, um, so many more you know initiatives taking place. Whether it's related to tech or it's like things you would find in a more metropolitan city. Um, you, starting from this is very far away from tech, but you know, more like vegetarian, vegan places, like uh, dairy alternatives, like our food is so, um, is so focused on meat and dairy, (laughs) on animal products, that it's so interesting to see, like, especially hospitality businesses, and then like, um, food, like food and basically packaged goods businesses um that have uh started and now you know we're trying to export our goods to europe and to the countries around us which that still has to get fleshed out more um but tech has always presented an opportunity for kosovo because we're kind of stuck within our borders but tech doesn't have to be so there's a lot of tech companies that work for um, either us like outsourcing or um, just uh, building like apps and websites and um, software for foreign um, foreign companies or selling it abroad. Um, yeah. That's really exciting that there's a lot of technological infrastructure in place. Like there's no remote areas, a very young population. Seems like it could be pretty conducive to being the next entrepreneurial hotspot in the EU. So, I think we should keep an eye on Kosovo. Yeah, hope so. <laughs> so I do want to probe a little further and ask you personally, what do you think lies for the future of Kosovo? 
I've been thinking about that a lot as I've come back and um, being away from Kosovo. I think I've, I always had this like optimism um, and didn't want to see kind of the bad stuff that's happening and I have to say being here just seeing more news like there's still corruption um there was we had elections and they got canceled and then other elections like there's um I really hope I know that the future is bright I just hope it's as soon as possible <laughs> this is this is a flaw of our generation like our patience is uh not very great so I think being away I was like oh yeah there's all these cool things that are happening because I was proactively seeking them but um kind of when you're here and there's the country's not very well organized like I hope we'll get good people in government uh that can help drive this change and I think the next step for us will definitely be you know free movement within Europe, um, which, you know, we've been working on that for years. It's been 13, no, 12, yeah, 12 years since independence, uh, about to be 13, so... As a teenager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my brother was born um, a few months before independence, so he... Um, oh. Well, he just turned 13, so Kosovo will soon be a teenager. I hope the teenagers will be would be will be good for her. <laughs> I feel like that's when that's when you get a lot of things done. You really plan out your future. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta be strict, I think. <laughs> so we're coming up to the end of the interview, and I'm actually gonna ask you a question that's a staple that I ask every single guest on the podcast. Is your migration journey over? Do you see yourself living in another country in the future and continuing to make your career as international as it has been? Or do you see yourself sticking around in Kosovo for a little bit longer? Like, what's your plan? Uh, I definitely see myself moving again. I love Kosovo and I'm very connected to it. And I want to, you know, do something here, whether start a business or run for office or something similar to that where... Um, I have an impact, but I think there's so much to learn, uh, like experiences abroad, and, uh, you know, I'm only 23, mm -hmm. which is crazy to think. I feel like I've, I feel like I'm about to retire, just based <laughs> on like the last five, no, six years, six, seven years of moving around, um, but I'm, so... I'm, I work for the same startup that I was working for in San Francisco, and it's, uh, it's based between SF and Milan, Italy. So my plan is to move to Italy soon, uh, waiting on visas right now. So I'm going to be in Kosovo for a little while longer, um, but I'm excited to... Whether I'll be here or in Italy or somewhere else, I'm excited to be closer um, to it and hopefully do something that can benefit um, people here during this time. But I, I will say it here because I wanted, I want to hold myself accountable. I do want to move to Singapore again for sure and uh, work there a little bit, spend some time in Asia. That'd definitely be cool. I've I've heard great things about Singapore, but I've never gotten to go myself. But I can definitely see you taking your career all over and living up to the whole global citizen, global scholar vibe. And hopefully in our lifetime, your, post, your Kosovo passport can get you anywhere. And I honestly, I think it'll happen in our lifetime. In our lifetime. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And I think, you know, living here now, like the cost of living is so low and the standard is slowly rising. Like, salaries are rising prices are rising <laughs> oh, sometimes it's funny when i'm like oh bread used to cost this much what it costs this much now like i'm i'm like, it's like a grandparent yeah exactly i'm like a grandparent um 
So I, I think like living in Kosovo with a passport that can get you at least to European countries, similar to everybody else in Europe, like makes for such a great life because it's more chill here like people love socializing going out well it's not the safest thing to do right now but um yeah definitely a great place to be is getting better and better so i'm excited for the future i am too and you've definitely sold me on kosovo i think i want to see this bill clinton statue in person <laughs> uh but yeah yeah <laughs> No comment. <laughs> well, this is so fun. It was great speaking with you and catching up. And I do have to let you go. But before we wrap, do you have anything that you want to shout out or promote or say to the viewers? Uh, well, thanks for listening. And I guess uh, I want to promote Kosovo. Um, if this <laughs> episode hasn't, um, it's a great place to come both in the winter and summer, but I would recommend summer. And for people that are, you know, looking to travel um, after this whole Corona thing is done, um, it's, you know, Kosovo, Albania, Montenegro, um, Macedonia, like such great places in the Balkans that are undiscovered and have amazing beaches and mountains. So I would say make a longer trip out of it and come visit the Balkans. You guys heard her. Go to the Balkans. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Malika. It was so great. Thanks, Aiden.